to positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Hello, chefs, all 9,000 of you, or whatever many people listen to this on the regular these days. You are all chefs today, um, and hot stuff coming through. I've got a hot podcast for you. Hi, this is Jake Flores. I am operating solo today because I am on the road, uh, not doing comedy, uh, personal business here on the West Coast. So I am here uh in a hotel room in san francisco introing the show alone today um welcome to another episode of thank you for your service extra extra back of house version today the real deal the real shit fill up your little quart cups with water smoke your cigarette out by the dumpster get ready for shit to hit the fan it's going to be a real shit show tonight here on the podcast. You're going to get in the weeds and have a fucking meltdown and uh, accidentally or purposely stab a coworker. Um, you might drop a pot on your foot. Um, what? Uh, what? Uh, someone might throw up. Um, who knows? All of these things could happen in the magic of the restaurant world. I am uh, the, the reason I wanted to do this episode today is because I am personally, guess what, back in the service industry. Uh, I've kind of had one foot back in for a while, and I've been thinking about the service industry a lot and what it means to me. And um, then out of nowhere. While I'm kind of processing all this information, this incredible new television show comes out called The Bear. And man, it really it really grabbed me. And I think it grabbed a lot of people who work in this industry. And I think that's impressive because a lot of times when you make a TV show about comedians, comedians all hate it. And you make a TV show about um, uh, skateboarders and the skateboarders are like, that's not how you ride a skateboard, man. And, uh, you know, it's a hot, tall order to tackle an entire uh, world like this, especially one that is um, not as elective as hobbies. You know, you see this often with television. And a thing that really bothers me is that we're supposed to watch these these sad, sordid dramas about how hard it is to be a comedian, right? Um, a com- comedy is something I do... Uh, in my free time when I'm not working in a fucking restaurant, you know? Uh, so the implication when you're watching Louis or Marin or fucking, uh, oh man, I'm dying up here. Remember that one? <laughs> uh, 
is uh, that you're supposed to feel for these people's struggle as they struggle in this active elective endeavor they've gone into because they feel, you know, entitled to success as an artist and greatness because it's, um, you know, it almost uses the language of like a calling or something like that. So often what you get out of these prestige television shows that glorify, um, you know, the arts and things like that, that we all want to be doing, which is like fine. It's fine to want to do a thing like that. And it's fine to, um, you know, to tell a story about it and to tell a story about how it feels and how much it, you know, it does dig into your soul to want to be a musician. And then now we're watching vinyl. Remember that show? <laughs> the fucking Rolling Stones or whatever. Um, and that's all fine with those. Those shows always bothered me on a fundamental level because, um, you know, as, as somebody who, uh, political economy jumped out at early in their life, I always raised an eyebrow and went, well, only some rich pampered fucking person could even like watch a show like this and think of this, uh, you know, in this way, because you have to think of art in this way of, of this is my real, my real job, you know? And that's, that always struck me as really bougie. Um, I've always been a person who, thought no make make a if you're gonna tell a story fucking tell the story about the, the the real struggle the one that we have in common the one that you didn't choose to do that you're stuck in because that really shapes you know your world in so many ways i think um this kind of is embodied in a moment in this tv show that i really enjoy which is that a chef who is on the show but does not play a chef plays a character who is um, kind of a loser and who uh, wants to work in the kitchen. He's a repair guy. And he says, um, <laughs> he he's arguing with a, with a chef about why he deserves to work in the restaurant. And he starts talking about his keyboard career and how he's a great keyboardist outside of the restaurant and outside of working as a repair guy to which uh, Rich, Richie cousin the character he's responding with goes, um, what the fuck does that have to do with this? <laughs> and, I, and I thought that was such an excellent moment because I thought it kind of, uh, you know, showed you what the fuck this show is about. It's not about your stupid keyboard career. We're not going to follow, you know, some keyboard guy and his dreams to, to be the best. And now it's Elvis and he's dancing around on stage and the movie's been going on for fucking three hours. No, no, no different fucking story here right this one's way more brutal it's real it's for the rest of us um and i think it's authentic um which is very important to these gen x people in this television show authenticity most important thing in the world right um me personally the service industry has always been something kind of sacred to me because i arrived at it really in full at a time in my life where I, everything was changing. Uh, as a young person, I had uh, an experience dropping out of college, not being able to do what I think I was supposed to be doing at that time in my life, uh, not having the money, not having the mental resources and things like that. found um, a way in restaurants and bars to support myself and learned 
you know, more than just um, how to how to make a margarita or how to change a keg or whatever. Uh, had you know all of these formative arguments and conversations with coworkers and bosses and things like that in uh, in my twenties that uh, you know made me the person I am today. Um, I can't remember if I've told. I've got some, you know, I've got a lot of them. I've probably told a few of them on this podcast before but uh that's been the backdrop for me for a lot of like my life and you know i kind of went from thinking this is a side job that you do while you do something more important to this is actually uh well doing something important is kind of a stupid idea you know everyone's job is just some bullshit and also uh this you know i kind of went from thinking of service work as undignified to actually extremely uh dignified and extremely um like it's extremely snobby to look down on it uh most people in the service industry work hot harder than uh, let's just grab a random occupation how about cops right a lot harder than cops we can all agree on so uh i you know i kind of went from there and then i I, I, at one point in my career, I kind of went, you know, this is a thing I can always rely on. I'm going to use it as my uh, thing to lean on while I move to the big city and try to pursue stand-up comedy like that guy and his stupid keyboard, right? And <laughs> um, never really had huge delusions about stand-up or anything, you know? But at this point in my life, working bars for a long time, I'm a realist. Uh, I think it's totally fine to be somebody who works in the real world and, you know, Gets to go take a crack at it, roll the dice every now and then, see if uh, if a thing will pop off, and maybe you get to go on tour or whatever. Um, I admire artists who have their head uh, down here and not in the clouds like the rest of us. Live enough, talk to enough people, especially in something like the punk world, you'll see that uh, there's kind of different different philosophies at work here, and uh, the working class types, I think, definitely veer on the side of what I'm talking about in regards to all that. So, uh, anyway, lived in New York, attended bar, worked delivery, bar back, all that stuff for a long time. And, uh, you know, eventually when you guys started paying money for this here podcast, I was able to kind of, uh, lean off of it a little bit and go full time. And then the pandemic happened and then I got unemployment and then it, you know, kind of ran out. And then I got to go on tour with this band called Eve six recently and I made some money, and I just remember I got back, and I kind of went, you know what? I'm not really 22 anymore. I don't need to grind at stand-up. I don't need to like lose money every night essentially doing that, which is what you do, especially if you work at night otherwise. Um, and I decided to get back into the bars, and I, I'm having a really good time, actually. I like it, and I oddly enough feel like good when I do it. Um, and the money is also nice. <laughs> uh, it's nice, you know, if you're a starving artist, pick up a bar shift or a waiting shift or a whatever shift here and there if you can. Um, if, you, if you're somebody who's contemplating that, I recommend it because having that spending money is like, uh, it's good for you. Um, but anyway, so that's, that's the arc of my little career in bars and restaurants. And it's, I'm back in it and I've been thinking about it a lot and grappling with it a lot and going, am I a loser, you know, because <laughs> I uh, I work for a living? Or was I a loser when I wasn't working for a living? Yeah, maybe maybe that was the case, you know. Um, 
not really sure, but I have uh, I've been a lot more busy than I usually am. So there's been a lot a lot less of these dense episodes where we read, you know, fucking um, Lacan or some shit and then try to explain it to you. But don't worry, those will be back at some point. I just got to move some things around. But um, but yeah, I've been really busy and immediately kind of back into the pace of like life when you work a job like this. And I was really struggling with it, especially after I got really busy this summer and my air conditioner blew up and I had to take Murray, my cat and find him a new temporary home because the air conditioner was vital for keeping the apartment that he lives in a livable temperature and it turned into this clusterfuck that caused a bunch of dominoes to knock over. And the next thing I know, I'm like running around screaming, hoping that, uh, you know, things will burn down around me so that I can finally relax, not sleeping much, um, drinking out of that quart container, you know, burning cigarettes down, drinking huge pints, uh, mixing them with red bull and things like that just to get through these moments. And I had a real crisis and then I watched this TV show, and it, God, hit me so hard. And I was like, fuck yeah, the bear. <laughs> um, God, and I and I, uh, I realized that I'm a, a grown adult service worker and not a kid one anymore, and I don't get in the fucking weeds anymore like I did when I was a young person. And uh, watching um, this TV show and exploring the themes that are fleshed out through it using the backdrop of restaurant work as a metaphor has been really uh, enjoyable. So I decided I wanted to talk about it and because I'm not, uh, I'm not, I always make fun of people on Twitter for being uh, front of house and not back of house, but that, that's a, that's a, you know, mostly a joke uh, and a lie <laughs> um, because I'm currently working front of house. I have been back a house, but I've never been like a chef, like the guy in this show who really went into the, you know, to, to climb to the top of the dojo and defeated Shang Tsung and all that shit in the chef world. Um, I decided to talk to some friends of mine. And since I'm on the road and they're chefs and uh, this whole thing is a big cluster fuck, like a Friday night at eight o'clock or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, the sounds kind of whatever. Um, I think it's all right. I'm mixing it right now and I think I can get it to be okay. But it, you know, it's one of those interviews where the person sounds like they're on the phone. Sorry, deal with it. It's, it's the service industry. It's not going to go perfect because we're yelling at each other over a fryer. Imagine it like that. Like there's just a fryer in between us and we're like, and what did you think of the ending? Also ending wise, I'm not going to spoil the ending of this show. If you haven't seen it, I think that we specifically made a decision right near the end of this podcast to not say what happens at the end. And I don't think that we really spoiled much of the plot. Um, because we didn't, we talked more in thematics uh, than specific plot points, but also because um, it's not a super plot-driven show. Like there are little mini plots in every episode, but um, we're not talking about you know Game of Thrones and the Red Wedding or something like that. Um, I think you can talk about the show without really, really spoiling anything. If you don't know, the show begins with. Um, 
I mean, I guess spoiler alert, if you don't want to know anything about the show, you should probably turn this off. But um, but just to give you some background, because we do just don't dive right into it. Uh, the show begins with this guy who's a, a like a, a real famous high-level chef. Uh, his brother owns a small restaurant called the, the uh, Chicago Beef or something. <laughs> it's like a beef sandwich, greasy spoon joint. And the brother uh, dies and leaves the restaurant to our main guy, Carmi. So he shows up and it's his job to, uh, you know, to, to get the restaurant in shape. And he's immediately clashing with all of the types of people that would work in a greasy spoon who are very set in their ways. You've got this guy who's bringing in uh, master chef stuff, um, you know, French uh, kitchen structure, rules, books, things like that, all sorts of regulations and stuff that immediately the staff is very uh, resistant to. And then slowly he starts to win him over. And then we've got the makings of uh, an 80s movie where there are montage scenes and stuff like that, except that doesn't happen because it's modern prestige television. So instead there are artistic montage scenes and incredible plot twists and musical cues and things like that. Um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, the first person I'm going to talk to is my friend Annabelle Sharahey, who is somebody I've met recently in my life and uh, I knew could probably um, do a good job explaining to me stuff like uh, what a sous chef is versus an executive chef. Huh? I just washed the dishes, man. I don't know what the fuck is going on up there. Stop yelling at me. All right. Um... All right, without further ado, here's Annabelle Sharahead. Okay, I'm now talking to my friend Annabelle Sharahey. Hope I pronounced that right. Um, hello. Uh, welcome to the show. Annabelle's a chef. Thank you, chef, for joining us. Um, yes, we <laughs> I have um, bear brain now, and I can't stop saying th- th- yes, chef, at people, and thank you, chef. It's really stupid. Um. Anyways, hello, welcome to the show. I presumably the reason you are here is because you are a chef and a, a funny person and a leftist and a, a friend of mine. And um, I thought that you might have some interesting takeaways about this fucking TV show. That is just taking the world by storm. I'm still kind of processing it. Um, let's start with let's start with you though. Can you explain to me um, how you became a chef? Oh God, yeah. Um, so when I was 18, I've always loved cooking. I come from like both of my parents are immigrants. My mom's from Russia, and then my dad's from Syria. And I was raised by like them and my grandparents. And when I was eight years old, my grandma was like, listen, we got to make you into a housewife. Uh, so we're going to teach you how to cook and mm. clean. And uh, I, I took more to the cooking than the cleaning. I will say that. Um, I got really into cooking. I would do it all the time. It was like the one thing that kind of made sense. And uh, when I was 18, I dropped out of college um, like half a semester in because I was not the happiest human being in the world. 
And the one thing that I realized like kind of kept me, you know, like looking forward to the next day, I guess was uh, cooking. And so I went to culinary school and I started working in restaurants at the same time. And uh, yeah, I guess I've just been kind of doing that ever since. Haven't looked back. Yeah, totally. Like, I have kind of a similar path in life because I uh, I dropped out of college and remember thinking like because of uh, various things that are instilled in you by your parents and stuff like that, especially if you're, uh, you know, side of your family is immigrants, uh, like I think uh, like myself and like yourself, uh, there, I, I think that's where this is coming from. There was always a part of me that thought, that the service industry was like kind of a lesser than thing. Cause there's so much like pressure to go, you know, go be a professional because we're, you know, this is America and the American dream is whatever to like, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer. Yeah. And so yeah. service industry jobs are always like, um, you know, thought of and seen, I think as like, Oh, this temporary thing. And yeah. it's what you do while you're in college to go do something else or whatever. And, when I was in college and I sort of dropped out, I sort of started like my first real serious service industry job. I remember thinking like, Oh, this is like temporary. And then like six months later, I was like, wait, this is like, you could do your whole career as this, you know? And it's like meaningful and you make good money and all these things. So that's weird that people, you know, see it as like undignified or whatever, I guess. And it's just the history of restaurants in general, which is kind of unfortunate. It's like the restaurant industry was initially built on slavery. And then when slavery was abolished, um, they were like, well, okay, we still, in order to make, for restaurants to make money, we have to like pay our workers as little as possible to keep things like, you know, running as is. So they were like, okay, who could we pay like the minimum, like below fucking minimum wage to? And it's like, Okay, like veterans um, are one. It was severely like mentally ill people, people that like were quote unquote unable to function in like regular jobs. Yeah, it still is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it can relate. <laughs> um, yeah, that's why I really, I think that's why, and like ex convicts, which is also still a thing. And I think that's why people kind of see it as like a lesser job because it's always just kind of been one even though like you know michelin star restaurants are a thing now fine dining's a thing and like you gotta have like a couple brain cells to do that i don't know right like, yeah i don't know well that's also like that's something that's kind of interesting in the bear is that there's this like weird uh conflict between the you know the fine dining guy the main character who's uh worked at the highest rated restaurant in the world and won awards and stuff like that and then him like have inheriting this restaurant from his dead brother. That's like a what's up Chicago sandwich shop thing. I don't know. It's the wrong accent, but, uh, yeah, well, I, I, I'm not, I'm trying to wonder, I'm like trying to figure out where that what accent came from, but I, uh, that's not Chicago. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that's Chicago. I think I just, I, I, I did Brooklyn guy. I do him for everything. I'm walking in Chicago here. Mama Mia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, what is Chicago like? Uh, the Bears. I have no idea. Okay. Yep, that's it. Uh-huh. Yeah, you just yelled the Bears. Um, <laughs> but like, there. Yeah, that that kind of uh, 
that disparity or like co- the the weird contradiction there between those two worlds is kind of interesting because they like I don't know on some level this show like is kind of like one of those things where um you know Mary Poppins comes to town and teaches everyone stuff but then she learns from you too you know so 100%. yeah <laughs> <laughs> like it's a little corny it's very sincere. And it is one of those types of things where you go like, oh, wow, the guy who went to culinary school is teaching these people, you know, French Brigade discipline and stuff. But then they're teaching him about heart, <laughs> you know. I mean, like, honestly, the fucking word, I'm, I hate to say this, but like I, I also so I came from a Michelin star background, too. I, I also worked at the best restaurant in the world for a couple of years. Um and then after working in like fine dining, especially at like EMP, LM Madison Park, and then like going on to another tasting menu spot, I ended up working at a place that my friend took over. Um, I was going to be a sous chef there and I was going to try to get them a star. Um, I was like doing all the menu development. And this place was vastly different from all the places I worked at previously. Um the crew was very similar to the crew at uh in in that show in the bear and uh well sort of they were, they were all like from um china they'd like immigrated kind of recently like 10 or so years ago maybe less and they had a very set way of doing things um some of some of which i fucking really appreciated some of which i was really into um, some of which like uh, raw chicken on top of lettuce, definitely in, in terms of storing things, not my favorite thing in the world. Definitely not, you know, food safe, mm-hmm. not that did not learn that. Um, but yeah, it was it was interesting to kind of like incorporate the French Brigade style into how they did things. They would show how them take that they had to clean and take care of their stations properly. And then they would show me like. Okay, so one thing about the bear that immediately struck me was so it has this level of authenticity because they clearly consulted people who actually work in this industry, which is something you don't see sometimes in television. Like, um, you know, as like a stand up comedian, there's this thing that suddenly became all the rage to make. Uh, prestige TV shows and weird movies and stuff about stand-up. It's happened a few times over the last few decades whenever there's a, like a sort of a pop and a general interest in that sort of thing. And like something I know about that is that you, you'll be watching a movie and you'll be like pulling your hair out going like, that's not how that fucking works. Like there's no... The big famous one is there's this movie Punchline in the 80s starring Tom Hanks and Sally Fields. And it's really funny because like they do stand-up at this club and then there's this scene where they're talking after the set, their their shows, uh, and they're in the back of the comedy club, putting their suits in their lockers. This is not a thing. No one has like a, a suit, like a weird suit they keep in a locker at a club's. So can, maybe you're just not cool enough to know about the suit locker. Maybe I'm Listen. just not getting booked at the right clubs. I don't know. Yeah, you're you're, you're fucking up, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but this shit always fucking made me, um, you know, kind of like lose interest or lose my like suspension of disbelief when watching a show like that. And yeah. with the bear, I, I kind of, I'm kind of curious about whether uh, it struck you as authentic or not, because like I'm service industry, but I've worked every position except for really being like a, like a proper you know chef or whatever. Like I've done like weird expo stuff and like um, 
dishwashing, so I'm familiar with behind, corner, herd, all that <laughs> shit. But some of the rest of it, uh, I'm, I've, I don't know. I'm curious because I've heard people go, um, "Oh, this is totally accurate, and this is really impressive." And I've heard other people go, "No, this is bullshit. That would never happen with a health inspector or whatever. They would never let them." Um, I don't know. So, what do you, what do you, how do you, what do you think? Did it? Did they get it right? It all, I thought it was all in time. Even the health inspector bit. Like, I've, I've been there before. Like, yeah, it's entirely accurate. Like, I just, uh, like, even, like, the tiny, tiny details, too. Like, the smoking outside and, like, how they kind of adjusted their uniform when they did that to, like, where they sat to, you know, to sometimes to how like the desks were occasionally organized to drinking out of the court cups. I know everyone lost their mind over that. And I kind of did too. I was like, wow, this is no, that's the one- real. That's like really like oh, the yeah. thing where the I meme where I still do it. <laughs> the meme where Leonardo DiCaprio is pointing at the TV screen. Like that's what I fucking did. Cause I do that like all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I do oh, it yeah. It's so, conv- it's so, it's like the perfect amount of water. Like how could you not selfie? Um, the second episode, especially, I talked to a lot of other people who did the, like the Michelin star thing. Uh-huh. The second episode where that guy's just like the very low, like button pushing. Oh my God. With that chef uh, talking to Carmi mm-hmm. in the beginning. I, I personally, I was like about to fucking lose it. I, that because we've all, I've, I mean, I've been there personally. I've been told some like heinous shit. Um, and I just have to like nod and take it and be like we chef and keep going. Yeah, which is great. <laughs> yeah, I mean so the overall like just not not even just like the details. Like they got a lot of the details right because um, I think because the if, if I heard this right, the guy they consulted was the guy who plays Fack. Do you know about this? The no. So the repair guy, Fack, who's like in the show, he's Richie's, you know, brother or whatever, and he's like this dumb, you know, guy. He's like fat and he's got a goatee and he's like um, you know, G D type of guy, and he keeps asking, Oh, can I get an interview? So that guy in real life is a celebrity chef. Um, so he like what? kind of cleverly inserted himself in the show because they consulted him and they got a lot of the authentic detail and stuff from this guy Maddie Matheson. And he's the only person on screen who like actually is a chef, but he, I think, I think he kind of purposely put himself in that role to like kind of make fun of the certain things that like you, you would find insulting if you were somebody who took cooking seriously, like that scene where he's trying to get a job there and he's saying like, I don't have any experience, but I got heart or whatever is like, Uh, (laughs) you know, kind of like bullshit like that's that's a thought that comes from someone who doesn't take the job seriously you know and think that you would need like experience and stuff like that um so i i really i buy it especially because like the the sequence is about uh the nightmare sequence is about like tickets and stuff like that that's like very true to life you know yeah that hurt yeah Yeah. i've woken up from nightmares where it looked like the ticket noise in my head still, especially when I first started working in kitchens, I would always have like nightmares about fucking up an order and I'd wake up to that ticket noise. I was like 18 when I started to, and I would just like, like still living with my parents and they'd be like, what's going on? I'm like, this fourth course, like ribeye is not done yet. And they're like, it's 3am man. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I used to get them like my first like re- like bartending job when I was really in the weeds. I would get uh like that weird waking nightmare thing where you're like kind of looking at your room. But um, my thing was that the edge of my bed looked like the edge of the bar. So there were people walking up to my bed, like asking for drinks. And I'd be like, no, I'm trying to sleep. Um, It's fucked up. But, um, well, let me ask you. So let me ask you something real basic, though. Uh, So can you explain the French brigade thing that they introduce in the in the restaurant, in the show? What is fucking course I can. Hell yeah. <laughs> Explain it every day. Uh, <laughs> everyone always asks me about it. Um, so the French brigade system, because uh, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of chefs and cooks um, were like veterans and people that were originally in the military. So they like had this kind of structure kind of built in already. Um, there's like a hierarchy in kitchens, especially like bigger kitchens and fine dining kitchens. And it's like, the bottom, which is like the comi or the prep cook, and those are people that'll like pick herbs or um, clean like the walk-ins, organize dry storage, put away orders, um, and then after the comi comes the chef de partie. And depending on the, re- I, I know it's different for different restaurants, but usually like the lowest level of like a chef de partie would be. The garmanger, which is the person that does like the cold preparation salads, usually the things that are a little bit less risky and a bit on, I guess, sometimes the cheaper side. So it's like not as it's like easier to not fuck up, I guess. Mm-hmm. And this is different for different restaurants, but that's kind of what I've noticed from where I I've worked. Um, then there's, you know, a chef de partie for like hot appetizers, a chef de partie for entremet which is like the sides that go with the main courses then there's like meat roasts and the fish rotisserie the uh and then there's a whole other section which is pastry and that's like a whole that's like a different section altogether and then you have your junior studio tournat who knows how to do everything your junior sous chef uh which is right after that and that's the sous chef's right hand man you have your sous chef who's the chef de cuisine's right hand man the chef de cuisine who's the head of that particular restaurant the executive sous chef who is, there's two executive sous chefs. There's the executive sous chef to the chef de cuisine, who's the sous chef that's in charge of all the other sous chefs. And then there's the executive sous chef who's in charge of the chef de cuisine and in charge of overseeing different restaurants, if there are different restaurants. And then the executive chef, who's like the main guy, mm-hmm. the head dude. It's a, it's a lot, but right. it's, yeah. <laughs> that got kind of confusing there as we got closer to the top of the pyramid and everyone was each other's sous chef executive or whatever but i think i followed um okay so in the show who what was sydney was she sous chef or yes okay yeah yeah, yeah. so she was a sue um i mean like after her stage and whatever and, and a stage is like a, a trail it's like um like a tryout period it's basically a trial period of like a day where a cook will come in and they'll do like prep and you can see their knife work. You'll maybe have them make a dish for family meal to see how they understand like food and flavors. Um, and then maybe if they're lucky, they'll help out with service and they'll maybe oversee some stuff, try some new dishes. It's a, it's a good time. It's essentially free labor for a day, but it's great. And then, yeah, then she scored her sous chef position, which is cool. Good for her. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I've staged, uh, 
uh, that's how I learned cocktails as I staged at a cocktail bar. Um, that's when I learned that word. I remember because I was like, uh, okay, this is basically interning, um, but French style. Okay. I get it. Um, <laughs> cool. Well, okay. So let's talk about the show a little bit. What was, what did you like about it? I don't know. Yeah. Every single, yeah. Every single personality on the show is like somebody that I've definitely worked with at some point. Um, it, it felt like I was back in like the kitchen and like just experiencing like different parts of my career is very, very lovely. Even serving family meal in like pint containers. I was like, God damn. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly what we did. Like or eating over the, Oh my God, eating over a trash can, like a fucking animal. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's great. It's like disgusting because then you start doing it at home and you pick up that habit and you're like, family's like, why are you just like devouring a lamb chop, like a feral beast over like the garbage can? And you're like, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it feels comfy. I know we, we just talked about this, but like the I eat out of quart containers at home. I don't use fucking plates and shit unless I'm like... <laughs> you know, cooking for someone or, or eating something that you can't put like I, but I cook stuff and put it directly into those things. And like, uh, that's just like weird shit that hangs over from years of being, you know, in a kitchen or whatever around one or in a restaurant. Um, like the way that like, really fast too, like, like shoveling shit down your throat and like, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) But you know what I really got like out of the show, this is where it really fucking dug into my head was, um, because of like the story about the rewarding nature of like the the craft and the professionalism that this guy is bringing in, you know, it it started to make me realize how, like I kind of had this embarrassing thing where I was realizing how bad I was at like my first few jobs and how I was responding like the characters in the show to like criticism and stuff like that. And there's like this really interesting part with the, um, the pastry chef where he has, he kind of causes a fucking clusterfuck by, uh, running one of the machines too high and then it fucks everything up. And then eventually he's out by the dumpster, very authentic detail. Everyone smokes by the dumpster. Um, and he's talking to Carmi, the head chef about it. And he says like, it won't happen again. And then Carmi says, uh, yeah, will, but not because you're you just because like it's chaos or something like that. And that was like, to me, like big, big, big fucking lesson I got out of the service industry because like I had a tendency to get really panicky early, early on in the weeds when I was first like doing stuff front of house and shit like that and freaking out. Oh, it's going to look bad or whatever. And I remember people being like, don't like it's very counterintuitive they're like don't panic even if it's like everything's insane like you have to like maintain this cool and i would argue with them and be like no this is better and then i finally fucking realized like why because there's this weird like wisdom that's being passed down or whatever but i don't know like it really got me with uh with like that secondhand like kind of embarrassment thing and like like but it like but i I guess like I had this weird personal thing with it this week where I was, I was kind of overwhelmed, like on a, like a life level with a bunch of weird, my AC blew up and all this weird shit that was happening. And like, then when I watched this, I realized like, that's, um, that 
that same lesson, like that weird, perfect action. Like it's almost like something you get from like a sensei or something of like, just, just enduring through the chaos that applies to your life outside of the fucking job too, you know? Oh yeah. It's nice. It's good. And I, I do really love that. That was a thing that I was able to do there. I will also say though, that like it is a, a, a bit, it's nice and it's good and it helps you get the job done. I will say it's also kind of like a form of dissociation. Totally. Which I as a lot later in life. Uh, <laughs> like, cause you're put, I mean, like, I don't know, you're put in this like really stressful, like high stress, like in like a situation. And then people are literally just being like, all right, like you gotta, you know, kind of like take yourself out of it and like calm down. And so you get to this point where it's like, because everyone's relying on you. That's the really kind of scary thing about working in restaurants is it's like this high pressure, like high risk, high reward situation where if you like fuck something up, like you're potentially ruining somebody's birthday, somebody's like wedding dinner or something, you know, um, somebody's like amazing night out that they're spending a fuck ton of money on. And like all of this pressures on you and all these eyes are on you. And like one little fuck up could ruin everything. And if somebody's in the shits and if you're like potentially the person that's going to fuck everything up, Panicking is going to suck. Panicking is not going to get you anywhere. So you instead, you kind of like almost take yourself out of it. Yeah. At least that's how, how a lot of chefs and cooks I know. They're like, yeah, I just kind of like, you know, go out of my body a little bit and like see things from like, you know, like work like that. And I'm like, buddy, that's dissociation, which is fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it literally is like a self-defense kind of mechanism. You know, it's it why is. your brain knows how to do that. There's like... um Comedians will tell stories about how, like, if you're having like a really bad show, like, uh, I think it was like Mark Marin did a he would joke about like how, you know, if you're just bombing your ass off, it's like like in a cartoon where the ghost of you like walks out of the body and then just goes backstage and then just like does something else while you're out there and you're just like not good luck, you know, <laughs> or like. Yeah. I remember um, a friend of mine who worked at a, a really a bar that would just get just mobbed and it was just a shit show like party bar in Austin and like I went in one time and he was in the weeds real bad and then I, he just stood up on the bar and lit a cigarette and just just like I'm going on break like right here you know um, so I totally get it. Um, I mean, but it's like, yeah, maybe that is a little unhealthy. Well, okay, let's talk about the unhealthy part of this because, like, this all story also centers around addiction. You know, I mean, yeah, the the unseen, uh, you know, fucking weird Shakespearean character that this is all based around is dead at the beginning of the show. From yeah. and then, like, the show explores him being an addict, and you know that it was a suicide and everything. Um, so with that in mind, do you find the service industry to be unhealthy, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Incredibly so. Um, which I hate to say because I love it so much and I don't think I'm ever, I don't really ever want to leave it. Um, but yeah, I've been friends with a lot of people who've had really, really bad addicted coke, like heroin, alcohol. I had people that would steal like vanilla extract bottles and drink it during their break um people that like shot up in uh in the bathrooms i had people that would like yeah do coke during their like every like 20 minutes there was a restaurant actually that i worked at that had their own personal dealer which was interesting <laughs> um <laughs> efficient 
Truly. Good, good for them. He hands um, you the drugs and you're like, thank you, chef. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like a, there was like a Sue who would actually like divvy that shit up. It was like, interesting. It was interesting. It's incredible. Um, but yeah, it's, it's super unhealthy. Um, if it's not, if it's not like substance abuse, it's like eating disorders. If it's not eating disorders, it's like some type of self-harm. It's hypersexuality. Um, they're like a sex addiction. People like, that's why there's so much cheating in restaurants too. I don't know. That's why like when people are glorifying like Carmi as a character, I'm like, no, he's deeply fucked up. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, listen, I'll, I'll take it. Cause like, you know, yeah, I, I love looking cool, but like, no, yeah, this, they're deeply, deeply disturbed people. And then they're people that have already had like people that start working in restaurants and people that continue to work in restaurants. They're not people that have really had like amazing childhoods or people that have had like, you know, they're not, they're not very well to begin with. And then you put them in this like high stress environment where like addiction is like a very big thing and it'll help you get through service and it'll help you like numb out after service. And then, yeah. And then like, it's just, and people are like, Oh no, but he's like really cool. Like, he, he can make these fancy sauces. Like, yeah. <laughs> at what cost though? At what cost? You know? Yeah. At what cost is a really interesting question. Cause like this has me thinking about like other types of work and how like this is the inverse of, you know, if you work at a fancy office tech job or whatever, the, the, they have a, a wellness professional and HR and all this stuff. And this like idea that, um, you know, your job, uh, is, is something that, um, you know, maybe the goal of it is like for you to have this healthy life outside of it. Like most professional jobs, the myth that comes along with them is that this will provide you enough money and free time and stuff to have like a separate life that is normal and healthy. And then the service industry is like, so individualistic and like kind of um competitive and stuff that it's like no whoever is the best at this fucking thing has to be the person who fits in as the cog in the machine of this thing that's that's has to has to pump out um you know product or whatever so it's like there's a lot of like whatever the fuck part of this is destroying you just stay on top of it and like keep it on your own time or whatever and it's like kind of this just other Cooks are just kind of like masochists that run on like immediate gratification. That's like, that's yeah. really our thing. We got paid like, I'd work like 100 hour weeks sometimes. And yeah, I'd get overtime. Sometimes I wouldn't even like clock because I wanted to like save hours and like help the restaurant for some fucking reason. Um, <laughs> I, great. So cool. So fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was just like, yeah, like, you know, I'm it's cause I'm important. It's cause they need me. And like, that was, that was the only thing I was running on. I, that, and like, Oh, it was so bad. I would like sometimes sleep there. Cause I'd have like two hours in between shifts. I, we invented a caffeinated drink actually. That would, it was a, it was four shots of espresso, uh, eight ounces of coffee. And then you'd pour that into a quart container with an entire tall boy of the Java monster energy drink. Good Lord. And which is, you know, it explains why one of our cooks developed an arrhythmia, but like, <laughs> it, you know, it helped. And we like, we, we like glorified that. And we were like, yeah, I worked 90 hours this week. And then somebody was like, yeah, well, you know, I had to like sleep on like 
the what's it called the uh, the flower bags they're like in the locker <laughs> the ships were too close together i don't know it was fucking insane that's like that thing with so those like bartending or with serving like y'all get the cash like and at least that seems really cool i, I think you guys might even make more than us but like we we just like did it i don't know i don't know why yeah no i, I remember fig- figuring out that was probably true uh my first like big fancy restaurant job and going like, well then why does anyone work in the back? <laughs> um, you know, but then I talked to people and found out some of them couldn't get a job elsewhere or like, I mean, part of it that was really fucked up to me was like, um, sometimes someone would be good enough at bartending or something like that. And then they would just get like, the you know manager would just be like you don't look the part which is like fucked up like everyone in front of house needs to be the exact same cardboard cutout hipster with tattoos who's like hot and shit and uh you know so there's just these bizarre things keeping people in, in their various places but then there's also the shape of the job itself like people that work front of house like kind of want the freedom to be able to dip and go work somewhere else and stuff. And like, if you're in the kitchen, it's more like, uh, I don't know, like this crew thing where you're like, what fucking, um, Anthony Bourdain called, called it like a pirate crew all the time and shit. hundred percent. Um, and I mean, I don't know, like, well, okay, here's a good question to kind of wrap things down on. Like, why do you think that is like, what is, what, what is, uh, so attractive about back of house does it because like what i got from this show was that it was like kind of meaningful in this way where like you know marx talks about you know very basic marxist concept the alienation of labor how like one component of capitalism is that you know you used to be like the guy in your village who made everyone's shoes and then you you know felt like a part of a community when you like gave the shoes to the person who needed them and stuff. And then capitalism does this thing where, you know, now you work at a factory, you make fucking 10 million shoes a day. You never see where they go. And that helps sort of justify the fact that you're not getting paid the right amount for it and being taken care of. And suddenly you don't, you feel disconnected from like your work. Right. But with a fucking kitchen and like what the show is kind of exploring is uh, you like you fucking make the thing with your hands and then you watch somebody eat it and you're like you take so much pride in it you know um so i guess that's like my my question is like uh you know am i do you think it's like that there's meaning coming out of like working in a kitchen you know uh i man it's a little bleak i like to think there is you know but in the grand scheme of things it probably isn't. It's definitely right. not the most job ever. But like, I, I always felt so like when I started working in kitchens, I really didn't know who I like was as a person. And I still like outside of work, don't really know who I am sometimes. But like, I know that when I am like on the line, or when I'm expediting, or when I'm like doing the specific thing that I have to do for that day, it's like, I'm the guy that's like in charge of breaking down thousands of dollars of like thousands of dollars worth of meat and then like serving it to people and and, like making it into this beautiful thing that it wasn't before. Um, And like, yeah, there is this sense of like, this is people always call like their stations, their babies. Like, this is my baby. You put like all of your love into it. You make sure it's clean. You make sure everything's organized. Everything's perfect. Everything's like fully stocked. You have so much like pride in it. Your station partner, 
becomes almost like your your sibling, you know, all these people, like they become like your family. And it's it's like that. And then also, unfortunately, I also feel like it's kind of like a, a weird trauma bond because you see these people like at their highest highs and lowest lows sometimes. I've like worked with people who like the day before they're like, um, they like lost their kid in like a custody battle. Or I'd like work with people who've like recently gone through a death and you can't skip work for funerals or weddings or birthdays because again, you're the guy that makes the steak, you know, you're the guy that's like in charge of the foie gras. Um, so you see these people like at, at their absolute worst or like when they're really in the shits and they're absolutely losing their mind, but you also see them in like really, really beautiful days too. And I think that binds you even closer together. Um, and it's like that plus like, yeah, the ownership over a station, it really like all together. I think that's what really makes working in kitchens. Also the connections you make, like now depending on where you work, like if you know a guy who worked at a place where you worked, I went to a restaurant once with my friend and I just put the reservation under my name. I didn't really mention anything else. And they like covered all my drinks and like yeah. gave us a bunch of free dishes. Cause they were just like, Oh yeah. Like you worked with the sommelier. Like they recognize you. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. It's like, there's like the tiny perks here and there, but it's mainly like that sort of thing. Yeah. But I mean, I think that like that, you don't get that working at the fucking sunglasses kiosk at the mall, you know, or like <laughs> if your job is generating pop-up ads in some weird fucking office somewhere, you know, you know, your life is probably like way more empty, I guess. I don't know. I think yep. it's, it's like a, you know, that weird form of like secular chosen. Well, not chosen. I mean, yeah, maybe that's the thing is it's a secular family. It's not quite chosen and it's not quite thrust upon you. It's like somewhere in the middle or something. Yeah, no, that's a good, but that's a good way to put it. Cause I definitely like, what do they call it? Like a motley crew of misfits or whatever the fuck it's a group of degenerates. Like they all, it's all people that have, I think like at least the people that I know, it's like people that have, never really felt like they fit in anywhere else. And then they come here and they find this like purpose in what they do. And like, yeah, the pay is absolute horseshit and the hours are terrible and you don't really have relationships outside of there and your sleep schedule's fucked. And you know, you might have a smoking problem now, but like, and maybe a drinking problem, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like you, you have these group of people that can like kind of commiserate with you. And these people that are like at, at the end of the day after service, you know, you'll all have a shot together and you all like get some shit diner food after you drink and like you're all talking about the day or you're just sitting in silence and it just feels comfortable. It feels like these are the people that have seen you in every emotion under the sun, like every feeling under the sun. You know, it's like it's yeah, it's like a, it's a beautiful thing. It's not something you might have chosen, but it's definitely something that you have grown into kind of. Yeah, totally. Totally. All right. Hell yeah. Back of house uh, for life. Um, even though I work front of house, fortunately, <laughs> I was a I was dish pit man. I I get oh, I get to claim awesome. some part of this, I think. But I always feel I always feel bougie when I'm like, oh, I'm front of house now though, like a traitor. Yeah, but, dish pit first. <laughs> okay, that's rough. I, I did I did dish pit too. That shit is terrible. It's fucking insane. All right, well, thank you, Annabelle, for talking to me. Um, and let my listeners know where they can um. Whatever you want to plug, food, oh. in social media, whatever. Oh man, um, food. Uh, well, so the place I'm opening is in nine months or so. Um, I'm gonna be posting updates on. Oh my god, the lights just went off. <laughs> I'm gonna be posting updates on it on a uh, my 
Instagram, which is uh, Annabelle Sharahi at Instagram, which is A-N-N-A-B-E-L-S-H-A-R-A-H-Y. And then I'll be posting updates on it with my Twitter too, which is uh, F-O-I-E-B-L-A-H. I'll, I'll put them in the in like the show description thing. That's smart. That's, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Thank you, Annabelle. Thanks for talking to me. Fucking Thanks for having me. Give them hell out there. Oh, I'll fucking try. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. All right, that was Annabelle dropping some important knowledge on us about all of that French battalion stuff that you didn't understand from the show. Um, next, I'm going to be talking to uh, a couple friends of mine, a couple pals, my friend Sean Earl Beard, and another guy named Cyclone Jack Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> making sure I'm getting that right because it's a sideshow name. Um, yeah, but uh, we're all lifers here. We're all in the kitchen. Back of house, baby. Let's get into it. Okay, all right. Holy shit. The, uh, let's explain what's happening. <laughs> this is already a clusterfuck, and it feels... Like we're in a kitchen together and everything just fucking went to shit. Absolutely. We're all drinking. Um, (laughs) Okay. uh, I'm now welcome to the show. My pals, Sean Earl Beard and Cyclone Jack Sullivan. Uh, How you doing? Chefs, uh, service industry vets, freaks, at least one of you professionally. Um, Professionally, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's unprofessionally for me yeah <laughs> pro bono <laughs> um hello guys uh hello chefs um welcome to the show uh hey, let's chef. before we get into the bear let's just talk service industry can you maybe let's let's go give our backgrounds sean you can start yeah absolutely um yeah i've worked in every single part of the service industry at some point in my life uh, ever since I was a teenager, uh, first job I had out the back was a, um, I was a dish pit and then, um, line cook for a 24 hour, uh, uh, diner down in the deep South. That isn't waffle house. It's another place called the village Inn. um, I worked at, uh, I made coffee at a anarchist like cafe for a while when I was in my late teens. I've yeah, been a bartender, bar back, delivery driver, porter, basically uh yeah, chef, sous chef, line cook. Uh, basically done every type of job there is to do that involves a restaurant or a bar of any type throughout my life. Okay, cool. Uh what about yourself, Jack? Uh, I have worked uh, basically back at house for since I was 16. So I was a line cook right at 16. I became an executive chef at fucking 23 at a haunted house bar, which is insane. Uh, <laughs> but also, I've also got a weird delay going, so sorry about that. But uh, I've been a bar back at concert venues, at fucking regular ass bars. Yeah, I, 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 I'm a 
lifer for industry shit. Like back of house is my shit. Yeah, totally. Um, when you were, were head chef at the haunted house bar, were you like, um, where are my bleeding blueberries? And, <laughs> I was blueberries. Is what I meant to say. Fuck. At that point, or blueberries. Sorry, I fucked up my own uh, joke. What was nuts about that is I was also the creative director for the haunted house. That's a whole other story, though. It's probably going to come up later. <laughs> that workload seems spooky. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, the menu for this spot was fucking stupid. Was it uh, Jekyll and Hyde's or whatever? No, they were our competitors. Uh, it was. It was. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared. I know. Oh man, that's so fucking funny. Jesus, <laughs> that's such a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were located 42nd and 8th, and it was run by the mob. Like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> that rules. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to have some questions about that later. But, um. Oh, we got it. <sighs> okay. So, you guys are both, you've, you've tons of service experience. Yeah. Uh, chef experience, Lifers. right? Lifers. Yeah. Uh, cur- I'll also just say I'm currently um, involved running a, a pop-up kitchen uh, in Ridgewood, Queens, which is what I'm doing now. Cool, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, interesting. I, I definitely needed people to sort of talk to about this because, like, I've I've done every job but chef. I've never gone down that, like, talent tree in the service mm-hmm. industry video game of trying to, you know, to really – Take in uh, cooking. I washed dishes, uh, done everything in the bar, you know, helped out here and there with like weird expo stuff, uh, delivered shit, you know. But um, this show, The Bear, man, I mean, it somehow gets a lot of stuff across. I'm sure for like the regular ass non service industry audience, people seem to feel what is being put across via this story. But there's this extra level if you're service, and I'm sure there's an extra, extra level if you're literally the same job, like cooking, because cooking is this, like, craft, you know, that is, like, or it's an art even, maybe, that is, like, something that people take in their heart a little bit more than... I don't know, washing dishes or something like that. Like when I was watching the show, I was like, I, I want to make this, but about the guy who's like, here's how you scrape meat out of a thing or whatever. But like, <laughs> obviously that doesn't exist, right? There's yeah. more to cooking. Um, so like a lot of the choices that were made were really, really good. Like they, they made so many fucking good choices on it. Like the, the first thing they, that they chose to do was to make it about a fucking grease bit. Yeah. Like it's that's a fucking quick service restaurant, which is the shittiest place to work. Right. And you don't you don't want to do that. Like it's the fucking shittest job. That's that's where I started. I started a an ice cream parlor that had a fucking kitchen in the back. Mm-hmm. Like it's sub diner shit. Yeah. Like diners are insane, but like these spots where it's like most of the building is the kitchen and everybody's just like showing up on their lunch break to get shit and styrofoam potatoes and peace out. That shit is fucking hell on earth it's very tough because like, yeah the amount of turnaround in a situation like that like i said when i worked at a diner it's very similar to that and it's your the it's a tough first job to have as a cook because the like execution wise it's pretty simple but it's just the breakneck speed of how quickly you have to pump everything out which is something to kind of touch upon on that show a bit too just like talking about just how quickly you have to turn 
things out. It's not like fine dining or something like that where you have this, you know, you know, heavy staff and a uh, perfect fucking mise and everything is kind of just small amounts of cooking and plating. Like you've got it's a it's it's a it's a whole nother level. It's it's definitely like a, the boot camp of cooks. Any sort of that dining, I, fast service stuff. Well, like I like I was I, I was I the first time I worked at, I was an executive chef before I'd ever even done a fucking brigade kitchen. Uh-huh. Which that shit's insane, and that comes up later. But like, as as crazy as Brigade is, Brigade's amazing. I would never want to work in a kitchen that doesn't do that level of fucking serious shit ever again because of how effective it is. But working in those kind of spots where it's just like orders up, orders got to fire, do the fucking thing. It's so fucking insane. Well, okay. Like, first question, I guess, is because like whenever someone is ambitious enough in television to make a TV show about a job or like a culture or something that, you know, you as the viewer don't know if they actually came from, or if it's like possible to translate to the screen. Like there's like, you know, there's a fucking real, there's a test here. You got to go around and ask, you know, people that are legitimate, like, is this, is this bullshit? And I've seen like a couple people, criticize the show i think twitter probably generates and uh catalyzes a ridiculous amount of cynicism so like the few takes i've seen about this i kind of didn't really understand what they were saying if they were they were trying to like criticize it and say oh they didn't get it right or whatever yeah that might be you might be dealing with an extremely cynical person who who doesn't think you know it passed it cuts the mustard or whatever but like uh i mean yeah, I want to ask everyone individually. Did this strike you like it struck me as like really authentic? Yeah, I, I so like about that the Twitter thing um, and like that that sort of uh, that that uh, people being like sort of cynical to it. I do think there's a how do I put this the right way? There's a with the show. There's been almost an extreme uh, response on sort of both ends of the spectrum. It's sort of like. I hate to put it in this sort of terms, but like non-service people, people have never worked in a service job or people have never worked in a kitchen, never worked back of house. Um, basically getting like 10% of knowledge about what a back of house job is and just kind of losing their mind over it. Yeah. And, and being like, Oh, I know what it's like to work, to be a chef now uh, behind a quarter. Uh, <laughs> oh, and- it's the most fucking annoying thing that we're going to deal with for the next year and a half. It's yeah. just like, sure. Oh my God. Fucking. We're going to get so many fucking night forearm tattoos again. I know. I think the people that see those people doing that, you know, whether that's right or not to say that like, that's like cringe or they're being stupid or kind of cynically going in the opposite direction. Be like this show. So out of touch. And so not what a kitchen is. This is so over the top and so obnoxious. And I part, and to me, I'm like, well, yeah, obviously it's a little exaggerated. It's a dramatic television show. Like no one wants to watch a show about like a sort of normal, like, closing shift at a kitchen where basically everything is fine. Like that's not compelling television to be like, Oh yeah, sure, it's, 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 normal it's day. All exaggerated. Right. Yeah. It's all exaggerated, but like not by much. No. Yeah. I mean, it, not at all. Like, like even like, the, the, like we have a, a weird foreign video game thing. And there's a term that's going to happen here. It's like fucking Sean, you and I both work in park slope and yeah. like, that's just buttermilk. Like, sorry, that's not even buttermilk. That's fucking uh, 
But Rulo's now that has the fucking Big Lebowski table. Yeah, Rulo's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that's just like fucking spots that like do like pinball tournaments at the end of the day. Sure. Oh, like, it's totally. a parody of a real thing. Like everything is just very slightly exaggerated. Yeah, I mean it's it's a story, so you're reducing down a thing to its essential elements in order to like tell a story. You don't actually want to see someone yeah, you're, on break for you're just keeping it on a low keep it on low heat until it just sort of becomes a thicker. Yeah, it's a reduction, of course. Uh it's the glaze <laughs> of a television show. But like um I don't know, it struck me as having like but it had like this like Safety Brothers kind of like pacing yes. where you're like, uh, oh, my God, is it ever going to take its foot off the gas? And then that's clever because that is an artistic like metaphor for what it feels like in the service industry at all times, you know, no breaks and stuff. Yep. So well, I think I think the biggest thing with that, uh, they got Manny Matheson on the show. Yeah. Do, like so Manny Matheson plays fact and like he's as far as I know, the only person on that that is an actual chef. Right. I'm like a real fucking serious chef. I'm like, I've got my issues with how he does stuff, but I've cooked a couple of his recipes. They're fucking great. I think he makes ugly food that tastes amazing. <laughs> but like, yeah. Yeah. He's, it, but like, he, but they, they, I love that they took the one guy that if he put his hands on anything would make it convincing and they didn't let him anywhere near a single fucking cooking implement I know, the entire what... time. Yeah. And then also, all the cooking shots are gorgeous yeah i think it it probably passes the test like i kind of when i was younger i was like a lot more cynical about um stand-up comedy being represented on tv and i kind of had an experience recently where i watched that show hacks i don't know if anyone's seen it and it's like oh man yet again they're making a show about fucking stand-up comedy and kind of used to be like i watched it very skeptically i was like all these shows suck they all fail to capture you know, what's like a, you know, relevant part of this. And that one got me. Like, I was like, you know what? Like it is kind of possible to first, it, it can be done. And so I, with this shit, like with, um, fucking this hits, this hits the it, bear. Yeah. Like I, I, my official response is, yeah, they actually pulled it off and probably because they had such good, um, consulting from Matheson and like, I don't, I don't know much about the writer, but like kind of don't, need to know that and like somebody told me a criticism i saw was uh that scene where they where the health inspector comes they said uh oh no one would actually let a health inspector run rampant like that which i don't think that's true i think the health inspection thing is wildly like yeah that's 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 not true like you would absolutely you can't stop a health inspector well also the health inspector is such a I think it's like different at every job and with every health inspector. Like some of them, oh, yeah. they come in, someone just passes them a twenty dollar bill, and they're like, "You pass," you know. <laughs> and sometimes oh, yeah. um, we got our. DOH, I never had to do DOH um, uh, like uh, at my at the pop kitchen I'm running just a couple of weeks ago, and that guy was um, actually completely very nice and pretty uh, agreeable and um, uh, pretty decent. And we passed and got an A and everything, but. Um, I've also had that exact same experience go the opposite way in the exact same place. It really is person to person. And also you, you get it drilled into you pretty quickly to like be terrified of the DOH when you are working in the back of house, especially in a place like New York, because there's so many weird and archaic rules. There's good rules. There's like very important ones, but there's also ones that if you explain to an outsider, they would be confused 
of why that's a thing you get a failing grade on, you know? So yeah, I, 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 I that doesn't really hold water to me. I, I think that it, unless you were brand new to the industry, it's, it's, you would know not to like let a, like you can't, you know what the score is with the department of health. You, they have, you can't stop them from going to certain parts of your kitchen or your walk and anything like that. If you do that, that's actually going to, you're going to fail. Yeah. So, so uh, a thing that like happens in New York, at least I think it happens probably in most communities. Uh, there are like neighborhood, like, like back. <laughs> Jesus. There's a, so I'm across the wall from a pickle party right now. A bunch of people <laughs> brought something they made pickled and made with pickles. And like, so there's like pickled liquor and shit like that. And it's happening on the other side of that wall. That is that's and perfect. Like, uh, yeah, once I'm done here, I'm going right over to that. It's fucking going to be awesome. It's the best party. Uh, but like, I don't know. I mean, maybe the story can be forgiven in that, like, it's this clusterfuck where this new guy is taking over and doesn't have everything well, that's, down. That's so. what makes it realistic again, is that, like, what the fuck? Why would he give a shit? He's from a fucking god tier kitchen. Like, right. You don't, those kitchens don't worry about that. So you know? if you're in a kitchen at that level, you're not fucking concerned those places are absolutely psychotic yeah like, and there's there's two interesting kind that of that was too realistic that was way too realistic that scene was bad there's there's a couple of different oh. interesting like conflicts or like dynamics the one that i kind of really fixated on was his dynamic with the sous chef because mm, yeah i think it embodied like like this interesting thing about like what work means to people of different generations because the old guys are all gen xers you know and they're these you know like working class guys that are their job is like part of their identity you know and they mm -hmm. have the tattoo of the knife and the fucking thing and everything and then the millennial sous chef has these things where she's she's like struggling to break into the industry and part of it seems to be embodied in this conflict she has with a uh, cousin, the Richie, that guy, where she's saying there are, the, the, the Richies of the world are, are interesting <laughs> fucking guys. And I really love that character is not one dimensional because that's a very fucking real guy. But the Sydney's of the world are my like when I when I stopped being a chef, like I, I did like my owners weren't able to fucking keep my guys paid and keep our shit online. Mm -hmm. So I straight up was just like, I can't do this. I'm shutting our kitchen down until we can get the fucking money together. Like I've been trying to like set this thing up and we're not doing it. So like, fuck you. This kitchen's done. Like until you can get your shit together. And he fired me on that, despite the fact that I was running the rest of their fucking business. But like, no, like you, you got to give a shit about your fucking people. And like the only people that I will work for now are Sydney's. I don't work for anybody else. If I find a passionate fucking chef that knows what the fuck they're doing that isn't part of the old guard, that I will sign up for in a fucking heartbeat. Well, like, yeah, because it's, I think what's kind of cool about this story is that she, what she says to him in that moment is she says like, uh, like this is a business, and what that means is that you work this here and it makes money, and then you get to go live your life outside of here and that struck me as like really millennial like because the deal that we are sold as like millennials with work is you don't get any of the benefits 
that previous generations got. But you get this freedom to like clock out kind of and do something else. And like your life outside of work doesn't really conflict with your work life as much as older generations. You can be openly fucking communist and crazy and shit like that. And like kind of conceive of life as uh, consolidated or like compartmentalized into these two things. And then you got these old guys that are like, no fucking kitchen is life. And like all the culture that comes with this stuff is like part inseparable. And, but it's also, it's dialectical in the same way as the other thing was, which is that they kind of like, you're both right a little bit. And yeah, she's kind of dragging them into the new world because like that stuff is failing. Like obviously they're sitting there in this broken down ass restaurant and they're like, yeah, just being a restaurant guy, like isn't enough to, to make this situation beneficial and make anyone's life better here. You know? Yeah. Well, you see the, you see that a lot with, I'm talking about kind of the old garden, new guard. You see this a lot. in yeah, the way certain kitchens are run and even you'll run into it. Yeah. All the time where it's, it is an older generation. There's like this whole sort of, and I got to say, like, a lot of what made the sort of machismo bullshit around chefs for a while was, like, celebrity culture around chefs in, like, the 2000s, where a lot of people got into the idea of cooking professionally is a certain sort of style of person, usually a male-dominated and, and very, like, yeah, macho-y, the whole thing. Like, oh, you cut off your thumb on the line, we'll wrap it up. You know, wrap it's it. a fucking city does that shit. It happens in the show. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's up, real. Dude. It is real. Like, yeah. But my point here is that 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 the newer generation of uh, people, more millennial, like you're talking about. I mean, that's somewhat true with those people too. But there is this idea that they, um, there's a pushback against that concept of uh, that. Like, it's this um, this this job has to be a rough and tumble. Everyone screams at each other. Everything's constantly like turned up to eleven. Because, like you're saying, that that like the, the the idea that you can you should have some level of a life outside of your job in the kitchen and and things like that. Because Lord knows there's not much security anyway. Right. I mean, all this stuff is like whenever I like try to analyze art like this, I try to go start with the economy, you know, and then figure out how that's yeah. shaping everything and like generationally like people in the past just made more money so millennials have this thing of like knowing exactly how much we're getting fucked and then going that for that reason you need to get me a doctor right now because you just stabbed me instead of me going like ah you know this is like enough i'm gonna sew my ass up or whatever and then get back in the line yeah so so in fairness i did leave kitchen work to uh you know fucking hammer nails in my head and swing machetes at myself and shit so like my career now, there are more injuries more frequently, and we do the suck it up thing backstage at that. Like, we get back off the stage, like, just for context, cool can, can like, you tell the listeners your tell us about this, <laughs> your other uh, job. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I am Cyclone Jack Sullivan, I'm from the mighty, mighty Coney Island Circus Sideshow. I am a sideshow performer. I stopped working on a kitchen line so that I could start getting electrocuted and fucking hammering nails in my head and eating fire and shit. And, uh, thank you, freak. I, I'm I'm gonna say that, like, <laughs> but I'm gonna say it like like fucking what we do is not far off from it, but like we're not always on. You're on the line. You're always fucking on. And like one of the things that I love about it is that it does get across the point that like yeah, like you get hurt and you keep going because it's not like it, it, it's art. It's fucking all art. And to the point of uh, the 
new era of cooking, what new era of cooking is. Like, Carmen is a millennial as well. Like, Car- Carmen's fucking definitely a millennial as well. Sadie's a millennial, Carmen's a millennial. Right. The difference is that Carmen comes from that psychotic line cook era, and that's when I came up. I came up during that psycho era. Like, I've got the fucking grease splatters and fucking boils all in my fucking arms to prove it. But, like, that was that whole thing is, like, yeah, you're a line cook and you survive on cocaine and whiskey and fucking, you know, whatever tastings you do during the day. And you yell at everybody and you're a piece of shit and you're rude to people. And I fucking hated that. I fucking got out of it. Like, there, I did have a day where, like, I, like... <laughs> So I, I had a menu that I put a Waldorf on. I, I put a Waldorf on for no reason. I, I shouldn't have put a Waldorf on. I just thought it was funny to put a Waldorf on. And I came in and to go grab walnuts because our delivery didn't have them. And I came in and saw them putting one out that had peanut on it. And I had banned fucking peanuts from the kitchen because fucking allergies. Like it's different. There's yeah. different allergy between peanuts and walnuts. I banned the fucking peanuts in the kitchen, but the fucking busser kept bringing them back up from the basement because the previous chef had a dessert that had them and i lost my shit i was like why the fuck are the peanuts back up here you could fucking kill somebody or you out of your fucking minds and there's now there's fucking three of us with knives on each other and it's just like just happened like none of us are making enough money for this yeah totally but like there's but there's fucking passion in a kitchen and like what what the dickheads that fucking do the angry kitchen shit don't get is that that passion is two directions and like you don't have to fucking kill yourself to do this shit so like my the best chef that i've ever worked for the greatest chef that i've ever fucking worked for fucking ray holland fucking like fucking streamline this shit and her thing is i don't need to rely on the best product I don't need to rely on the fucking fanciest technique. What I need to do is make good fucking food. And she's fucking right. And she's fucking spectacular. And when she can, she like goes out of her way to go above and beyond. But like with her, her process is perfect. And that's fucking cooking's not, I, I bought the nicest thing and I know how to treat it. It's I fucking did the process right. Yeah. You know, like fucking like it's, yeah, like, great. You bought fucking a, a sable brush and a thing of ink. But if somebody with a Sharpie can do it better than you, fuck off. Like, Yeah. Well, I mean, you see that. I've seen that in bartending, too, where people are like, uh, I'll just buy all these fancy tools. But you, oddly enough, the, that's very common in podcasting, too, which I think is really funny because, like, podcasting came uh, out of nerds. A lot of the culture came from just people that would hang out on the internet before like pandemic shit made that a little bit more normal. And so the stuff that became really popular came up somewhat organically. And then you had this boom a couple years ago where like, um, you know, every, every celebrity suddenly was like, Oh, like this is a thing I've been advised to invest in and start doing. So you'd see fucking Conan O'Brien go, I'm, I'm making a podcast. And then a, a puff piece about it. Like is Conan O'Brien revolutionizing podcasts or whatever. And you <laughs> look at these little photos and it's like, he bought the, the best microphone you can get and all this stuff. I've seen a lot of people like who are just uh rich tech dorks that are, 
um, delving into comedy that think it's a get rich quick scheme and think that there's a way to apply business to it to an extent that you can become like the next Joe Rogan or whatever over the course of a six month business plan. And they always buy all the stuff. And then you're sitting there going, no, man, there's more to it than that. You can <laughs> you can have a shitty setup, but it's like what you're fucking talking about and what you're saying is what's important here. You know, you can't just buy authenticity. <laughs> Can, can yeah. I just get a snowball? Yeah, yeah, a little fucking snowball, man. <laughs> you can if you're, if you're what you're saying is good because that's you know man, that's Gen X again, man. Authenticity, you can't fucking manufacture it, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I that's yeah that that's hilarious. Thinking uh, the idea of also Tech Bros being like, you know what, you know what's a good really foolproof get rich quick scheme. Doing comedy, yeah. <laughs> I, but you always see thing. it. You always see people that like. You can tell that's they have a dream, and they're like, "Okay, this is going to pop off." For like, you know, they've drastically underestimated the amount of time and investment it takes to even have a shot at rolling the dice and gambling on a thing like that. And then I'm always yeah. sitting around here like. I've been doing this for 15 years. I am a ghost. I'm a warning to you. I'm like a pirate, like a grizzled old man. It's like, don't do open mics, motherfucker. It'll ruin your life. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so like, that's insane. So I've, I've also pulled the trigger on every stupid fucking career path. Like uh-huh. I went to art school and I worked in kitchens through art school. Fucking. It's like, the, the dumbest things you could possibly try to make money on are trying to be funny for other people, which I sort of get to do professionally now, yep. but I have to set myself on fire to do it. Uh, owning a restaurant, which don't ever fucking do that. Nope. <laughs> Unless if you're into it, but like, or, uh, or drawing things, which now, now fucking tech billionaires are like, well, uh, I think, uh, well, I can do a podcast. So I can do the funny thing and I can make art. So NFTs and uh, fucking Mr. Beast has that fucking pop up like ghost restaurant shit. The ghost rest ghost kitchens drive me up a fucking wall. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever, if any, I don't Sean, I don't know if you've ever worked a commissary kitchen before, but like, it's insane. Uh, with Renee, I did work commissary kitchen, essentially like eight different like pop up spots. Cause uh, when she was running Bon Chobi with me, uh, earlier when I was working Bon Jovi for her, sorry, chef, uh, the, <laughs> the fucking, I've got to send this to her because I, I need her to know <laughs> how much I fucking admire her. Uh, but like the, she hired me because my application included a photo of me breathing fire and it was at a Coney Island spot. Uh, but no, uh, the fucking, the commissary kitchens are like just fucking warehouses that like they set up different little like prep stations in. Yeah. And you're renting it out storage space or renting out a walk-in. And you're fucking loading up your van and shipping it out every fucking day. It's the most insane way to run a kitchen. It's the most insane way to run a business. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. Yeah, I, I I personally never worked in a commissary kitchen. I've seen them before. Closest thing I've done to that is like uh, like high like high volume catering kitchens. But oh least, Jesus Christ! Yeah, yeah, yeah but um. No, it's 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 pretty it's pretty gnarly. And speaking, going back to what you were saying about like tech bros getting the podcasting for money. I mean, you see this obviously, as you know, you've seen in the bar world. Same thing in the restaurant world. There's a if there if there's certain like tech bros whose dream is to be the next Joe Rogan. There's some tech bro whose dream is to be the next. Uh, I don't know, fucking 
uh, let's let's say David Shang, but they didn't go to fucking school for it, and yeah. they just have a lot of money, and they're like, well, David Chang, who I think, what's David Chang's restaurant? I eat Momofuku. Oh yeah, fuck that dude. No, fuck <laughs> it. Okay, so fucking no, because you brought me on to talk about fucking leftist shit, and one of my best friends, <laughs> fucking shout out to my buddy Dave, who is I was the last time I, I actually took the role of chef on again. Dave, my buddy Dave and I uh, fucking co-chef to the spot doing fucking pizzas and shit. Uh, like rewrote the fucking entire menu so the place wouldn't go out of business. Fucking he applied for Momofuku, passed everything, got denied for having a fucking felony. Wow. Are you fucking kidding me? That should give you more points. You're like, right, like I'm sorry. Yeah, like I'm gonna hire a felon. He got a sorry. He got a Michigan felony. That doesn't count. It's That's so right. easy to get a felony in Michigan. Like, <laughs> and like he got the baddest fucking felony you can possibly do, which is that he got pulled over with his knife roll. Fuck, oh shit. Fuck David Chang. He got pulled over. His knife roll was in the back. Said that he had weapons. He said he had concealed weapons. Fuck that shit. I'm not saying Dave last name, but I fucking love that guy. He is a sweetheart. I I fucking adore him. But fuck David Chang, fucking absolute enemy of the fucking class. How the fuck are you not gonna hire felons in a kitchen? Yeah, it's that... a fucking kitchen. Like, <laughs> right. This is like not to not to fucking because Amber Frost saying it's like oh well everybody that works in kitchens like there's always a rapist in the kitchen. It's like fuck you, Amber. But like. There's always a felon, at least. Right. There's yeah. At least one felon. <laughs> and a felon who got a felon whose fucking felony is I was a chef and I was speeding. That's insane, yeah. man. I mean, even like, that's, a, that's not speeding, even. That's expedite. Like, fuck, come on, man. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, you're right. That shows you the person who fired that person did, like, did, did not understand the first thing, like, literally the first thing about. A fucking kitchen, which is uh, where those people come from, you know, or it might be a situation where if you uh, take a business to that corporate of a level, there's like this robotic systemic thing where it just weeds people out on that basis anyway. You and go then, on that. And if you're doing that shit, fuck you. Use your chef credentials. Totally. <laughs> Eat shit. Like. Well, OK, so here's what I take this. Here's the direction I want to take this while we uh, have a little bit of time left is speaking of, you know, what's going on here is what we talk in service industry. We're telling weird stories. You're a freak. That person. That's fun. We're spitting fire. <laughs> but uh, leftist shit. Right. That's obviously the overarching philosophical point here. And like the, 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 the real the big fucking conflict I had at the end of watching the bear was like, man, that was such a well-told story, and it was so fucking gripping, and I was jumping out of my chair, yelling weird service industry shit at the screen. But sometimes you watch a thing, and it's a really well-told story because of the artifice and the craft, and then you wait for a week, and then something occurs to you, and you go, wait a minute, was that actually bad? And the thing that occurred to me was, you know, if you want to be a fucking big anarcho-commie fucking flag-waving freak about this, is this a story about a petty bourgeois family, right? Is this a story about owning a small business and does that actually suck or is that reality and people do exist and they're not necessarily like we don't need to throw them under the guillotine yet, you know, because there's kind of this conflict I've been having with like friends of mine who are like a little bit outside of the left stuff where they're like, hey, um, my dad's a landlord. Are we going to kill him? And, uh, you know, are um. Uh, you know, are all small business owners de facto like evil to uh, you, or is this a like, system that we're all caught in? You know, what do we think about this story? 
Right. Yeah. So with that, I, so it's like the thing of like, if you want to go full Marxist term, yeah, there's those people, those small businesses that are like petite bourgeois. Like that's true. Like that's just, it, that's, that's not a quali- qualitative statement. That's just what it is. Yeah. Um, but you know, there is, there is degrees to these things and, 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 it's a it's a thing I've struggled with uh, most of my life too. Working in the service industry, working for restaurants, because there's this idea as a leftist, you've got this idea of you know, generally like yeah, my my labor's being exploited and I'm not being paid enough, and and there's not you know all these systems in place are set up to be oppressive, and all that's true, but it, there's a weird conflict that I've had at certain times in my life where I'll be like. You're like, yeah, you know, I this is, you know, my labor's being exploited. And then I like actually look at the like, I'm, and it's a small enough place that I'm looking at like the owner, and he's literally showing me the books, and it's like, yo, like we're basically treading water every single day. It's All right. Does it really feel? It's hard to to get up on the, you know, you know, the whole like you know, surplus value being stolen thing. When you look at the exact amount of money coming in every single week and it's basically nothing. Yeah. Like that's a real conflict. Like that's a real thing that you, that I've, that you deal with if you're like a leftist working in kitchens, which by the way, are a lot of them. Right. A lot. A lot. Yeah. There's, it's, it's basically like apolitical, like truly apolitical people. Yeah. Hardline leftists. And one dude who's like, 58 it's like no nah, fuck it i don't want to fucking see a bunch of mexicans and like i don't like a dude from fucking el salvador is just like fuck you man like they're still friends and i don't get that shit but like it's yeah it, it is it is one of the more working class like one of the truest unions of working class things which is also why it's fucking amazing the back of house is starting to unionize at so many places but like that's the mistake of corporatizing restaurants is that now you're gonna get fucking unions in them but like, that's a good thing. That is objectively a fucking good thing. Uh, well, it's it's a heightened contradiction. So a, a heightened bad thing leads to a heightened good thing, right? That's how the math right. works out. Uh, but like the, the, I do want to put this out because I, I I've, I've been thinking about things I wanted to say on this all week. Uh, anyone who does the fucking discourse about like, oh, there wouldn't be restaurants in a, in a communist uh, society. Fuck off, you're an idiot. You're wrong. <laughs> you sound as stupid as as anyone is like, like. You sound as stupid as somebody who's like, like, oh well, where are you gonna get art from if it's communism? From artists, dumbass. Like, I don't know what the fuck to tell people. Like, you're still going to make. It is an essential thing. It is an essential service, but it's a fucking art form. And like, I think one of the best things this show did was that Al-Anon speech that, or the Al-Anon confession that he did. Totally. That's where he, what he, oh, and they didn't do. And I, I liked that they didn't do it because it's something that you yourself have to pick up from it. If it, ref- if it has any reflection on your own life is that he's not, he's at Al-Anon, he's at an addiction thing. He's not talking about his brother's addiction. He's talking about his own addiction. His addiction is the fucking work. And like, right. I, like I'm addicted to my work. I don't, I think you're addicted to your work, Sean. I think you might be as well, but like, yeah. And I, I, I know from the leftist perspective, it's like, like work sucks. But it's like, I want to differentiate this right now. Fuck your job. Fuck your boss. Fuck a job. 
but why the fuck would you do any work if you didn't give a shit? Yeah. Like, and, and, and a work addiction is not great, but like, we've got it. Like it's, it's in there and it is, it's as deadly. It's as fucking serious as other addictions, but like, it's fucking productive at least. Like, yeah, I think that's I think like that's a thing. That's something that's I a chef thing. I can't figure out maybe how to exactly parse it all out because you're right; it's all mixed up together. But like that part of the service industry that they explore through that character and that arc is like they're talking about addiction a lot, you know, and they're talking about he's talking about how he's escaped into work, which is a place you can just go turn your fucking brain off. I, it works for me because if I'm worried about money, I'm like okay, this is the thing that makes money. Like you don't have to for eight hours or whatever. You can stop and just know you're making money. But like also there, there is like, there's this bizarre contradiction here between um, what you're talking about with like work legitimately being meaningful, right? Like not all of us are uh, luxury space champagne communists where we're like in the end times or in the, in the utopia rather. I don't, do anything a lot of us are like no i enjoy like cooking for my friends and stuff maybe in communism restaurants still exist they're just not exploitive like they're a thing where you historically they did so like (laughs) yeah like you that's the thing about it is it's always gonna be exploitative but like it's it's work is more fun than fun yeah like if you if you know that what you're doing is meaningful and if you feel engaged in it and you fucking have the fucking passion for it you can't get that anywhere else like it, it, it's it's literally like you get on a roller coaster because it's fucking chaos. Well, but what all- you're doing is you're si- you're simulating fucking falling to your death, <laughs> and like in being in a kitchen, like some of the best days of being in a kitchen are when it's absolute batshit. Like yeah. my favorite days are the worst days I've ever had in a kitchen because it's a near life experience. Mm-hmm. Like you're just fucking there. Like you're you're. You're on fire, you're, your head's up, and you're doing the thing. And that, speaking of the on fire thing, that metaphor was so fucking good. Oh, the grease fire? Yeah. The, oh, the grease yeah. fire metaphor is so good, and it was so well handled. Because that's real legit. Like, you hit that moment where it's like, I don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> and then you suddenly click back in, and you're like, oh, fuck, no, I, I like doing this too much. Like, it's... Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like he, another thing about that that scene with him in the AA meeting was like, uh, why do you escape into work, right? Well, part of it is because it's it's meaningful. Like, work it, it, to some degree is something that you feel like, you know, at the end of the day, you've done something. You've worked with your hands. Your your labor is less alienated in the kitchen. You can literally see the person eating the sandwich you made, and then go oh shit this feels like my lizard brain is you know I mean, how it's supposed to feel i think that's literally the the thing that uh marx actually talks about about when he, when he refers to alienation labor i think what he literally refers to is the process of eating the process of getting food yeah totally. is that the steps that you have to go through to get to that like that you know you don't know the farmer you don't know the grocer you don't know the fucking like that we have made this many steps between the one core thing that we all have to do all the fucking time and that these are the elements that they've alienated us the furthest from. Like, and yeah, you feel more alive in that moment. Like, and I'll, I'll, I'll be fucking extremely honest. Uh, I have for sure done more harm to my uh, personal life 
and just as far as relationships, as far as family relationships. Well, right, because that's what he does in the fucking my, show is that he fucks up the other part of your life that gives you meaning because there is a schism yeah, but there. Like, but like, like I'm for sure like every fucking line cook. Like I drink too much and I do all this other shit. But like those aren't my problematic addictions. My problematic addiction is my fucking work ethic. And like it's my need to always fucking work has done so much harm. But, you know... Yeah. The fuck yeah. do you do with that? Yeah. Well, the, going back to what you're saying about, you know, alienation labor and people being alienated from their food, then also kind of how that sort of intersects with um, the concept of uh, working with your hands, cooking people food, being like a meaningful experience. I don't think those two things, I think those two things have like a, a real overlap, like both on the the consumer end and the producer end, that case, consumer end being like the customer and the producer end being the cook like they're people like to go to restaurants because they i think people maybe you know in some sort of like collective unconscious understand how far alienated they are from their food and going to a restaurant and this is why you saw a big rise in like open kitchens and shit like this it's like they say it's one it's a way to sort of trick people into thinking they have a closer connection with what they're eating than they normally would oh totally i was i was actually at a ferocious fucking open kitchen spot earlier today uh fucking big shout out to j star in providence it is one of the fucking coolest kitchens i've ever seen one of the coolest fucking restaurants i've ever been to uh the food is fucking god tier but like and like i was i was really glad to be there because of having this conversation later but like holy shit like clean line excellently done yeah and like yeah. and, I, and i think that's a thing of like oh yeah that's why you see these open kitchens and things like that and also talking about how you'll how cooks they feel that their job even if their job is like a pretty quote-unquote low-level type of cooking working in a diner or something that there's some sense of import and some sense of uh purpose to when you watch a person cook a thing you made, even if that thing is like just some eggs on a fucking greasy plate or like a, you know, high end, you know, Michelin star place, there's, there is a sense of purpose for both of those things. And I think for the person eating at both those, they are, yeah, they are more, uh, they feel more connected to essentially the, uh, like, uh, like chain of labor and chain of supply of what they, you know, as opposed to getting something from a grocery store or seamless or whatever bullshit you're, you're more connected or, I mean, yeah, you're more connected to your, to your, what you're eating. I think yeah, that's like, I mean, like the, 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 the stack of complaints on what you're eating is only heightened by delivery. Like delivery makes it so much worse. Cause like there's, Oh, I don't like how the food tastes. There's so so it's it's all oh, the food arrived later than I wanted it to. All oh, the food's cold because it got delivered to me. Oh, the food doesn't look good. The food's been served in a weird way, and like that's all nonsense bullshit. But like it goes up, and then it's like like oh, the food wasn't prepared properly. Oh, it wasn't what I asked for. Oh, it wasn't this or the other, and like it, it keeps going up because at the end of it, it's hey, there are multiple fucking farmers. There are multiple different people like working insane hours working insane jobs there are truck drivers there are fucking like there are people working warehouses and all these steps 
like the delivery shit is the last line of fucking alienation. Yeah. Like the only way you can further alienate somebody is by like, yeah, the, the guy that I hired to pick the fork up and put my fucking little French fry in my mouth. Uh, he, he he had DT because he was drinking last night. It's like, fuck you, dude. Like, well, okay, but so I think you're right. And like this, this thing, this thing about kitchens and serving food and stuff like that is like represented in the story a little bit in that uh, these people are like g- getting like they keep inching towards having their lives become somewhat less alienated through this thing that they're all engaged in. But, you know, it's, it's interesting, though, because like that speech where he's talking about how he escapes into work. I mean, he's. You also have this thing where he's like completely his sister is like furious at him because she's like, you're you're escaping into that. But it's Mm -hmm. your life is fractured and you're like totally ignoring all this other stuff. And that's why you're an addict to begin with or whatever. And like that is not something this would be a dumb show if it had an answer to that, because that's just like that is capitalism. That's what we all live in is this thing that by inherently fucking fractures like like, our lives, you know, I, I, I would be like this without capitalism. Like I would be like this. This is. This is what I'm like. Like, this is me. Like, I am going to dive headlong into this shit. Like, yeah. I, I, well, like, so fucking hot take on this one. I really enjoyed 2020. I had a great time. <laughs> yeah, I kind of um, the same. <laughs> yeah. Like, but like, I didn't make any money. I like, everything that I did shut down. Like I worked service. I worked fucking shows, the two things that stopped existing. And like, and and actually this was, this is the right time to fucking point this one out. Fucking nobody fucking talks about the fucking highest mortality rate and rise in any fucking industry is line cooks in the last fucking two years during the pandemic line cooks fucking started dropping off left and right. One of my, my fucking sushi fucking died within two months. One of my very good friends fucking died. Wow. Like I lost so many people to this and like nobody fucking talks about it. Cause everybody's just fucking like, like, Oh, we just get delivery now. And then you're like, we're little small beans and we all like fucking chat on zoom. It's like, that's great. I would love to chat on zoom with more people, but like <laughs> I can't anymore. Cause they died. Cause they were making you fucking French fries. You idiot. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh God. But this is the thing, uh, and and uh, fucking rest in peace, Xavier. But like, rest in peace, Chris, as well. But like, like fucking, you, you can't have these things without fucking people that are dedicated. And we're not dedicated because we don't have any other options. We're dedicated because we give a shit. Yeah. Like we want to do this. This is our shit. Like, sorry. Like, and and like, as one as much as I want to be mad about, like, like, oh, he could have done something else. Like, he wouldn't have done anything else. He wouldn't have done anything differently. Like, if anything, what he would have done, gone out on is, you know, with healthcare, probably. Because, like, a lot of the reasons why chefs were, are fucking dying off at higher numbers than anybody else is that we're fucking insane. We're all fucking out of our minds. Like, we, we do have addictions. We do fucking drink too much. We do fucking eat the richest food you've ever eaten all the time because we don't have the time or money to buy shit that we don't make ourselves. And restaurant food is fucking awful. Like, it's bad for your health, but, you know, it's there. Like, it just, like, yeah. what I appreciate about the current movement as far as unionization of, like, service places, service industry, is that we are the ones that need it the fucking most. We're absolutely the fucking ones that need it the most. And, like, 
And when I say we, I do mean me formerly. Like, I don't need healthcare. Fuck it. I, I put nails in my face. I'm good. Uh, but like to everybody that like is still on the line, to everybody that is still fucking doing delivery, to everybody that's still still doing this shit, like you deserve this shit because like, you know, it's sustainable for a short time, but God damn it. Mortality rate going up in the way that it did for line cooks should have been such a fucking canary in the coal mine. And it wasn't. And it feels so dirty that people don't even fucking talk about it. Yeah. Like, like it's memory hold. Totally. If it was even like, a memory I, I, to, to most people. It, it, no, no, it, it, it didn't even make news. Like, and you can look it up, like Google it. It's there, but like we're the number one fucking like death rate in this country for the last two years. And like, it's not, suicide anymore which was which is also a fucking high rate it's not fucking alcoholism anymore which is also a high rate it's not fucking doing shitty coke which also if you're in if you're in brooklyn stop doing coke i don't know about everywhere else stop doing coke in brooklyn because it's so stepped on you're gonna fucking get footprints in your fucking nostrils but like any like it's not the fucking drugs it's not the fucking alcohol it's everything it's the fucking eating like a king and dying like a fucking pauper and you just get rolled into the fucking grave and like I don't I don't think he even got a headstone. Like what the fuck? <laughs> Damn. Sorry for going dark. No. This is supposed man. to be funny. No, Sorry. No, 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 no. That's uh no, it's important, man. I'm thank yeah. you for bringing it up. Sorry for your loss. I um Unfortunately, we uh, we're getting run out of time here, but that's probably actually a good note to end on because you know that's the important part of this. I, have, I do have one more note. Sure. Uh, the one thing that everybody I've spoken to has criticized that I think is accurate. Every chef I know, including my buddy uh, Ryan, who uh, who is a chef from Chicago. Uh, that has his own restaurant now that is like a very ambitious fucking chef. Uh, everybody hates the last five minutes of the series. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> yep. I was thinking about maybe not even getting to it, but you just mean the ending. I, I don't, I, yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go further on that, but everybody that I know that works in a restaurant hates that last final minutes, but on pressing is like, yeah, we were excited to see what the outcome of that is. Like, well, yeah, obviously. Like, yeah, let's see what they do with that. Yeah, I have some thoughts, but I almost don't want to spoil it on the show. Yeah. I went back and forth about it. I thought maybe of hating it, and then I thought... It's... Uh, it's there's a reason... So I, what I like about it is that the, the episode before it is 17 minutes long and the nightmare of an episode. Yeah. And the other one is... Like, it, it is... That series runs exactly five minutes long. If you if you do the entire runtime, it runs exactly five minutes longer than four hours. So those five minutes are just like, yeah, this is just us setting up the next one. <laughs> well, without giving anything away, I think it ends on kind of at a positive or an optimistic note, which it's, you it's cute. which is it's at least cute. Well, you gotta end somehow, and I, I was thinking about it and I was like, man, this could have ended totally bleakly. Uh and it would have been a fine reflection of reality, but I don't know if I want to look at that reflection. Like you can kind of do either or here and uh, a, 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 t- a subject that is already so brutal. <laughs> like man. also, but also, but also fuck you. If your thing is the fucking court cup, we all do the court cup. The court cup is, is fine, but it's aesthetic at this point. It's the fucking ticket printer nightmare. Yeah, sure. That's the realest shit on the entire show. 
Yeah, for sure. Ticket Printer Nightmare is really shit. That's terrifying. I, I have them. If you not, <laughs> if, if you haven't woken up, it's sweating after hearing a ticket printer in your brain. Like yeah. I, you haven't been working a line. Like that's how you work a line. Uh, like and, and every other shot that I've seen is like, yeah, we switched to a tablet system, so we don't have the ticket printer anymore. But I miss it. Like, do you oh. actually? This is like, no, I miss the fear. <laughs> I've still got a ticket printer at my place. <laughs> um, it's diabolical. It's evil. They're e- they're fucking evil. I agree with you, except I am Team Court Cup. I love them. I drink water out of them every day. Yeah, no, Court Cups are really shit. <laughs> yeah, the best. <laughs> All right, uh, listen. I'm surprised that I have cups in my house that aren't Court Cups. Like they're the best. I gotta get the fuck out of here. Um, Thank you, uh, chefs. Um, heard you, you uh, behind. I'm right behind you right now, and I'm around the corner. <laughs> sharp behind. Uh-huh, I'm sharp behind, behind you right now. <laughs> hands. Can I get hands? Sharp behind. Can I get hands? I got a hot podcast coming out, so everyone get the fuck out of the way. Uh, where can my <laughs> listeners find each of you? Sean, go first. Um, yeah, so uh, I'll go ahead and uh, uh, plug the um, pop-up kitchen. Um, that's going to be on Instagram. I like food NYC. Um, it's I like food NYC on basically every social media platform. They're 5 to 11 every goddamn day. Come by, say what's up. Cool. You got Twitter or anything? Yeah. Uh, Twitter is going to be, if you want to follow me personally on Twitter, it's a surplus Val meal. That's a surplus V A L M E A L. I mostly tweet shit about the kitchen Mets and other shit posting. (laughs) Okay. M E T S Mets, Mets, Mets. Mr. Cyclone Jack Sullivan, where can we find you? Um, I, you can pretty much just find me just by typing out that, but I do want to give a shout out to a couple of chefs of mine that I, I love, uh, make sure you check out Michael Zama who actually did leave. He was a sous chef in my spot that left to do donuts, which is sick shit. Like in so a like car? Exactly the mar- like, no, like he did straight up like the Marcus thing of like, he quit our kitchen to do donuts. I know I was joking. They're amazing. Uh, he went to, but yeah, no, he, he fucking cleared on sitting car. Uh, Ray Holland. Fucking uh, Greg Lauro, uh, Lindsey Norton. Um, not going to say Dave's full name because you don't need to worry about that. Uh, I don't need people know about his shit. Um, and yeah, find me at Cyclone Jack anywhere. Like, yeah. Okay. Love it. All right. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. I think that's it. I think we did a podcast. Um, let's get the fuck out of here. All right. Let's scrub down. Uh huh. Scrub <laughs> it down. Fish is closed. Right, everyone that's the bear uh we did it and uh i'm uh, i'm losing going crazy here i've got tickets coming out of the podcast machine at me i need you to fire uh table seven table uh 69 table 420 table 666 etc um I need you to fire Anders. He's fired. That's why he's not on the show. I fired him for insubordination because he um, he he did that thing where you put you have a tray of tables and then you uh, you lift it up into a ceiling fan and it sprays margaritas on three hundred people. 
and uh, Alex is fired uh, for um, he broke the toilet. Um, I'm fired. I'm firing myself. Uh, fire me. Um, I quit. Uh, I fucking hate you people. And, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you what I really think of you and then come back maybe like a week later because I realized I can't get a job anywhere else. Hat in my hand. Um, what else? I need uh, you to scrape this chicken cacciatore out of this ramekin that I fucking burnt into it because I'm a bad chef. I need you to do that for me. I need you, to, you know, I need you to subscribe to the Patreon and buy merch from us uh, at patreon.com slash poddamnamerica and um, uh, poddamnamerica.bigcartel.com for merch. Um, I need you to buy those ape shirts that aren't funny anymore that I made of <laughs> NFTs. Ah, fuck. I'm freaking out here. I, I'm i going to kill somebody if I don't get a goddamn souffle. I don't know. I'm, like, making this up. I don't know what the fuck any of these words mean. I'm a co- co- Closest I come to is um, take this cocktail before it melts. I don't know. Um, all right. So, the bear. We did it, right? We figured it out. I suppose it asks us important questions about what is this thing that so many people, so many broken people find meaning in, you know? Uh, So many people who, you know, like these characters, like uh, Cousin Richie here, you know, doesn't... This guy, he's going on dates. um, (laughs) He's bombing them. You know, his... uh, Children are kind of estranged. Life is fractured in so many ways. And so this job gives some meaning, right? Everyone's an addict, right? Carmi's an addict. Carmi's aware of what that is. He sleeps in a horrible Bukowski uh, fucking uh, McNulty from the wire apartment. (laughs) You know, that's a good trope. The guy who's so dedicated to his job his apartment is a barren you know horrible thing just like a liquor bottle and a mattress or whatever um you know but that's a trope for a reason because that's what this person is getting out of this his sister is accusing him quite correctly of escaping into work into a type of work that you know that you can live in and and get a familial feeling out of when you can't get it elsewhere, that's something to that. I think it's a double-sided coin, you know, on the one hand, it's fake family. Um, and it, it leaves you with misery in another compartmentalized part of your life. But on the first hand, you know, maybe it's saving these people's lives. We also see this in the sous chef and Sid who attempts to, divide her life and treat work like a thing that can exist on its own like a millennial and go and you know and and live completely separate outside of it only to discover you can't do that you're going to be sitting in your home thinking about the thing that you pursued out of passion because because you didn't just get a job, you know? You didn't just get a job at the Sunglass Hut. 
you made your job your passion. So perhaps the millennial dream here of separating all that and going on vacation and things like that isn't real. It isn't quite possible. I'm going to read from my notes here. <laughs> Citizen, your Gen X authenticity isn't functional, isn't functioning in parentheses. It's not. Um, and what my millennial philosophy is going to bring us is a surrender. But, and this is important, you get to like your life off the clock. But do you? She kind of realizes that you don't. Sid pulls her move of escaping the situation and retreating into her quote-unquote real life to discover it doesn't exist. Best meal she ever had, spoiler alert, was at Carmi's. Meaning... Um, and that's some detail from the show that <laughs> you'll need context for. But um, meaning is derived from passion that is unfortunately distorted through work. Capitalism. That's, an, that's just a fact of the matter of the... <laughs> or that, that's a matter of the... Fuck, I'm saying this wrong. Sorry, I butchered that. I'm going to say it again. Meaning is derived from passion that is unfortunately distorted through work, capitalism, right? I think that that is a good snapshot of the moment that we are living in under, you know, phase two of history, <laughs> you know, if you subscribe to historical materialism, um, under the current moment that is somewhat inescapable, and under this transition within liberalism under capitalism of uh moving from you know these micro phases one to another what it was like for people a little bit older than us to grow up and to develop a relationship with work and with other people and with society uh you know through the distortion through the encumberments of just what things were at that given time and that given place it's a little bit different generationally, um, but fundamentally, it's all the same. So that's why this show isn't prescriptive. It doesn't say, uh, here's how you fix this, which is what most art doesn't do, you know, we're not, unless we're talking like, sorry to bother you or something like that. Uh, it just gives us a moment to think and feel about, to jam on, you know? I think that's all that you can expect of art if you're not being a huge fucking political nerd about it and you're being someone with a soul who knows that art art's purpose is art and not always propaganda and stuff like that um and i think the proof's in the pudding given that you know this is a a reflection that i think was long overdue and clearly it spoke to so many people people saw themselves in it and it became popular and now there's memes and everyone's talking about fucking drinking out of court cups and listening to Kate Bush and all this fucking shit. But it's good, you know? The last thing we had like this was like waiting with Dane Cook. And we all know how that played out, all right? If you've been on the internet this week. So, uh, the <laughs> the bear, I like it. Tweet at me if you hated it. I'll argue with you. Okay, it's uh, it's finished. It's fired. It's, um, it's, we're closed. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. 
and, 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 and so on. Okay, bye. Closing time, open all the doors and let you